0: Good morning. How are you guys feeling this morning? Awesome, awesome. Uh, it's such a privilege to get to be with you uh, today. Um, my name is Adam, and I'm the campus pastor at our Corona campus. Um, and, uh, man, I've had the privilege of getting to be a part of South Hills for about nine years now and uh, have just gotten to see so many campuses get started and planted and watch them grow and expand just like you guys. And uh, I just want to say before we jump in this morning, you have... An absolutely incredible campus pastor, and I don't know if you know how extremely blessed you really truly are uh, to have Efren Pena and his family here. One of the most genuine men that I've ever met, just sincere, and uh, he's a what you see is what you get kind of guy, and genuinely loves you. And every time we get a chance to get together as campus pastors and uh, talk about what we're doing and uh, our cities and how we're investing in our people and the growth that we're watching, happen, he is consistently bragging on you guys. and uh, You make this city a place that he's proud to be, and uh, he has such a huge love for you. And I just want to echo Pastor Moses' words and just say, um, take uh, the opportunity to love on him and his family uh, this week, whether that is writing them a card or getting them a gift card or, uh, you know, buying them, uh, man, the guy is a uh, sneakerhead. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, man, slip him a Foot Locker gift card, uh, little uh, cash money handshake. Well, I don't know how you guys do it in Santa Clarita, uh, but show him some love. It is a challenging thing uh, to be a pastor, and uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, it is, it's a, its a lot. We love our people. We love our communities, um, but consistently being the one who is taking on the burden of your city and the people in your congregation, it's something we sign up for and we love to do, um, but there's a heaviness to it, and to know, to get to hear from your people that what you do matters and makes a difference in their their life and uh, the messages that you prepared and the, the time that you've spent has actually impacted and changed and transformed them. It's a big deal. A lot of times uh, when I'm out on the, the plaza on our campus talking, sometimes people come up and be like, hey, you probably get this all the time, but and I'm like, is it encouragement? Because if so, no, I don't. I don't get that. <laughs> All the time. <clears throat> this, like, lay it on, right? And sometimes I think that's what we think, right? We think, like, oh, man, everybody knows that was a great message. Everybody knows that we love him, whatever. And I just tell you, uh, your, your campus pastor probably doesn't know because a lot of guys um, don't know uh, how much they're loved and appreciated. And I don't ever want everyone to feel like that here. And so uh, please do me the favor, a guy you don't know, um, the favor of loving on him and investing in him because, man, he's such a gift, I think, to this community. Well, we've been in this series, we've been talking about, I think it's something that we all want, whether you uh, grew up in church or not, whether you consider yourself religious or not, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you're like, I don't even know what I believe, I'm still at that kind of seeking, searching stage, Um, but everybody wants to have good relationships. Um, The problem is a lot of us didn't really have a great model for that, right? We didn't really have something to look at and say like, man, that's how to do it, right? Some of us grew up in really dysfunctional homes, right? Some of us uh, didn't really have a great example of marriage to look at or a great example of parenting to look at. And so we're just kind of going from kind of maybe this dysfunctional example that was set for us and what we learned from watching Full House, right? And we're just like, not enough, right? Not enough for me to really know how to do this thing right. And yet I I want to be in, love long term. Like I I want to not just stick out my marriage. I want to actually be in love and I want to get to that 50th, 60th year anniversary and be like, we didn't just make it. Like we're still in love. We're still excited to be with one another. I want when my kids leave the house. I want them to want to come home, right? I don't want it to be a punishment, right? I want them to still want to have a relationship with me. How do we do do that? How do we have these kinds of great relationships that we're desperate for? That's what we've been doing during the the series, just kind of walking that out. And we're going to continue on that path today. We've been looking at this uh, this story in the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, and just talking about these principles that we've been sharing aren't just things that are based on modern uh, psychological, sociological research, uh, but these things are rooted in the history of humanity. We see these things have been happening and unfolding in the same similar way throughout all of time, because people have tended to work the way people have always worked since there were people. And uh, and so we're looking for this wisdom, and how do we apply it today? And so I want to encourage you to take some notes today. Um, I know on all your chairs, there was this uh, note sheet that says uh, notes and, and doodles. Uh, for whatever reason, I wanted to say noodles and doodles, just because it rhymes. But um, feel free to write some stuff down. Anything jumps out at you today. Um, one of the reasons I think this is so beneficial is just I believe that you know your experience tends to kind of rise or fall according to your expectations, right? And when I got a pen ready and I'm ready to write something, I, I'm surprised oftentimes at how often I see something that's like, wow, I needed to hear that. I needed to write that down. I needed to take that home with me today. And so I hope that something today uh, sparks that for you. Um, and if you are taking notes, the title of my message today is, uh, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. You have been talking to somebody and you just thought, they're not getting it. This is not, it's not going through <laughs> It's not working the way I thought. They're getting something, and I'm not sure if it's the something that I'm trying for them to get. You know, it's not working... Out the way I thought. Um, I have uh, three kids with my wife, Gretchen, and uh, they're not here with me today, uh, but I brought a picture just so you can get a, a, a picture of who they are. This is my family right here. Uh, the other grown-up is my wife, just in case you're confused, right? You're like, how do these people fit together? Um, this is my wife, Gretchen, and she is 11 now. She's almost 12, and she wants to be treated as a full-blown teenager. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. I'm afraid of it. Um, in fact, there was a big fight over whether or not she could wear lipstick in this photo and uh you guys don't need to know about that drama but that happened that that's a real thing that happened uh before this photo and then um my oldest son he's our middle child his name is Cohen he's the one on the the left here and uh and then um the youngest one there with the biggest giggly smile uh with the I mean he's got crooked teeth he don't care he's gonna show them all off he knows he's getting braces in the future right uh and uh, his name is Zeke or Zeke Bear, or the Bear or the Tank. He's got a lot of nicknames. He is basically uh, Dennis the Menace, okay? He looks like Dennis the Menace, acts like Dennis the Menace. Um, and in fact, both my boys play soccer, and uh, they're, they're obsessed with it. And Cohen is on a travel team, and Zeke is uh, just kind of getting started, and they're both on incredible teams. Um, and they're both so different, and they have such different personalities that the way they go about it is different. Ze- uh, Cohen is more reserved and he's more cerebral and he's kind of playing the game in his head and he's a strategist and he's really focused on the mechanics of the game. And Zeke is just like a a little tank and so his strategy is just come at with come at things with a lot of enthusiasm and just kind of barrel through and like he'll go he's the kid that goes into that little cluster of kids with the soccer ball and he comes out and two kids are dead and he's got the ball and you're like I'm not sure what happened there was a big cloud of dust that came up and he's just he's just a tank right. Right? And um, and so he he loves it. He's all about it. He can also get a little emotional during the games. And so there are times where he gets so frustrated that he doesn't feel like he's doing good or the other guys doesn't feel he's good that the coaches had to pull him out and uh, and just be like, hey, some silence for a minute. You're getting a little worked up. Right. And uh, and so uh, Zeke doesn't know how to sit down. And so he can't just sit still and calm down. He stands inside of the the coach's box, and he just paces along with the coach, and so they're just pacing together, and uh, he's done this a few different games uh, because these emotional outbursts have not just happened one time, but a few different times, and he was in this game, and the coach is now starting to get worked up. Now, mind you, Zeke gets more worked up than anybody else on his team ever, and yet the coach is getting worked up. He's judging the coach, and I can just see it in his face that he's judging the coach. The coach is like, No, do they, No, you guys gotta, you gotta, gotta drop back when they come. And he's yelling all this stuff, and, uh, and the, Zeke walks up and he puts his hand uh, on, on the coach's, uh, he t- tries to tap his shoulder, and he's like, Hey, coach. Um, he's like, Are you mad? And he's like, No, I'm just trying to encourage them. And Zeke just pats him, like, kind of condescendingly. I'm gonna be honest about this, guys. <laughs> Pat's them kind of condescendingly is just like, they're not getting it. Okay, they're not getting it. You seem mad. You seem you seem angry. They're not getting the encouragement. And the coach is like, you know, looking at him like, "You're a kid. Shut up." What? I didn't ask your opinion. You know, at this moment, he doesn't say that, but I can tell by the facial expression that he's making. And he looks back at me. We're sitting just behind the coach's box, and I just kind of have this look, like, "I mean, they're not getting it. I mean, I, you seem angry to me too." I mean, I'm, a, you know, and and in his mind, he's like, he's yelling, encouraging things, but. The team is picking up other stuff from the angst and and the way he's like fidgeting with his whistle and the way that he's kind of like he's got all of this energy that's kind of pent up in his body and the tone of his voice and the way he's like, oh, and he's so frustrated on the sidelines. The way he wants to say something and then doesn't and then turns away from the kids, uh, probably to cuss towards the parents, right? Like he's got all this stuff. And everyone that's around, especially the kids on the team who are dialed into what he's doing, are aware that, that maybe there's something else going on with the way that he's thinking and feeling in that moment, that they're, they're pulling into their experience, that he's not technically saying, right? And I, I bring this up because I think we all have these moments in life, in our relationships, right, where we, uh, we're having a conversation or we're, we walk into a room or we're in a meeting, and you realize that there's somebody in there that's trying to say something, and you're looking around at the other people that are interacting with that person. You're like, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. I can see, I can sense what you're trying to do, what you want them to experience, what you want them to hear and feel in this moment. They're not feeling it. They're not hearing it. They're not getting it, right? And uh, even more frustrating when we have those moments, right, where we walk out of an experience or an interaction um, and it goes sideways. It doesn't go the way we think it's going to go, Right. We, we, maybe you've found yourself in a place where you think you're giving a compliment and it is taken offensively, right? And that romantic evening goes sideways real quick, right? And you're like, I didn't, I didn't mean that offensively, right? I said, I said, you're like your mother because I, li- I like your mother. I didn't mean it like that. I don't know why you're. <sighs> and you realize, man, there's, there's a, so because I think there are a lot of, Issues in our relationships that actually have to do with our communication. Because the reality of it is, we want it to be a lot easier than it is. Communication is not easy. Uh, it's not simple. It's, it's nuanced, right? Communication is complicated. And maybe you have noticed this in your life. Um, you know what you mean. They don't always know what you mean, right? They know what they mean. You don't always know what they mean or what they're trying to communicate. And uh, maybe you've realized that words matter, but they're not the only things that matter. There's a lot more going on and being communicated. In fact, most of what we're picking up on um, from other people are are nonverbal cues. In fact, I would tell you this. Everything uh, about you is saying something to the people around you. And maybe you've not really kind of thought about it in these words before, but you've recognized this in your relationships as you observe people and your interactions with them. Everything about you is communicating or saying something to those around you. The question is, what? Because that's the thing we're not always aware of, is what is it that I'm communicating with all of these things about me, with the uh, expressions that I'm making, with my body language, all these little things that people are picking up on and maybe prevent them from fully getting what I'm saying. Or maybe they're getting something that I don't intend to communicate because I'm not fully aware of what they're reading from this situation. You know, if you're not aware of what the people around you are reading into, um, you're gonna communicate something that you don't mean to. Um, because And because of this, I think uh, it leads to a lot of miscommunication in our lives. Um, we've been talking about uh, bidding, right? Like essentially these little subtle ways that we, we request connection from other people. And when we don't know how they're doing, we don't realize how we're doing it, um, a lot of times, relationships begin to kind of misfire, and we, we feel disconnected. And you know, I bring this up because we, uh, as we've been looking at this this uh, this story in the Old Testament, uh, this story of Esther. We see this kind of unfold, and I want to just point this out today uh, in this particular uh, story, again, as we have in the past few weeks. I think this is what happens in this story. The first you know, chapter or so really don't even include the title character, Esther, right? They're about Xerxes and his wife uh, Vashti, right? And this is what happens in their relationship, right? They're communicating a lot of things uh, that are below the word level, right? And there's a misfire, and the relationship kind of begins to implode, and things kind of fall apart. And then Xerxes gets remarried, right? And his second wife, Esther, she understands that there are many modes of communication. She has a different level of emotional intelligence than the previous queen was able to get access to. And because of it, um, you know, even though she finds herself frequently in this story in a really dire set of circumstances, she's able to keep her relationships intact. And this is the thing that I think is hopeful when we look at this, is no matter what you're going through or what circumstances you find yourself in, no matter what you're facing as a couple or as a family, right, you can find yourself intact on the other side of that if you keep your communication clear during it. But in order to do that, we've got to know how nuanced it really is. Um, Dr. John Gottman, who is one of the, the foremost authorities on uh, relationships and attachment, right? He says that there's really six modes of communication, six forms of communication. And a lot of us, we don't think about how diverse this is when we begin to unpack how we talk to one another. And what I think we see in the story of Esther is that in the midst of this really conversation with her husband, and when I say difficult, I mean like the most difficult, not just like, oh, the internet's not working and the game is on. I mean, that's a tough conversation, okay? (laughs) That is difficult, right? I burnt the nachos. That's frustrating, right? But you're talking about, this is a conversation of like, uh, he essentially had made a decision because he'd been conned by somebody that he trusted who had convinced him unknowingly to exterminate an entire people group of which she was a part of. Because she hadn't really revealed to him that she was a part of that people group, he had signed her death sentence without even knowing it. And now she's got to go and have a conversation with him to be like, hey, I know that you really pride yourself on really being able to read people and really being like a great strategist, but somebody got one over on you, right? Somebody has made you kind of look like a fool. Somebody's manipulated you, right? Now, like all of you guys, just imagine this uh, kind of conversation unraveling in your relationship. (laughs) I know you think you're a big man. You're pretty smart. She cheating you. You know what I mean? And uh, that frustrating moment, right? And yet she navigates it. So beautifully because she has access to all of these different modes of communication and she's able to get through to him and change his mind and save not only herself but her people. And, and not only that, in the midst of this difficult conversation, it's not something that splinters them or splits them apart. It's something that actually pulls them together. And so what are these things? And how do we apply them? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about as we spend the rest of our time here together today. Um, And I'm just going to give these to you in order and just show you where they exist within this story. The first kind of way, fundamental way that we communicate is through something called body language. Okay? Body language. Um, And, you know, our body language, whether we realize it or not, communicates a lot of what we're thinking and feeling whether we uh, even know it or not, whether we want it to or not. People are reading our body language, and there's a lot of different ways to think about this. Um, because it's a very elaborate category. But I think one of the most helpful ways to think about it is just the difference between open and closed body position, right? Um, an open body position is when we, um, you know, when we lean in, when we make eye contact with the person uh, that we're talking to, um, when we kind of, we, we have an open body posture, our hands are down to the side, our hands are open, right? Uh, we are leaned into the conversation that we're having, um, You know, these things communicate like, hey, I'm interested in this conversation. I'm relaxed. I'm at ease. I feel safe around you. Tell me more. I'm really into this interaction right now. A closed body posture, right, which we sometimes, is when we turn away, when we back away from someone. You've been talking to someone and they're just kind of slowly doing one of these things, right? Just moonwalking in the opposite direction. Um, They're trying to communicate something, right? When someone kind of covers themselves or or kind of crosses their arms, when you see someone's fists clench or their hands kind of uncomfortably dig into their pockets in in a particular moment when, when they may like kind of gesture to kind of cover their face or their neck, right? These are all kind of closed things, and these are ways of communicating, like, I feel uncomfortable right now. I don't really like what you just said, okay? You're making me nervous. I don't know what to do right now, right? I'm I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to have this conversation right now or with you, right? This is not the time or the place, okay? It's communicating all of these particular things, and we see these things in play in our everyday lives, and people are reading into what we're saying based on these, and we read into others, and we also see this in the book of Esther. In fact, you look at the, uh, Esther chapter 5 in this, the second verse here. Esther goes to have this conversation with her husband to kind of bring him in on what's really going on and she's nervous and there's a lot of implications to, to what's going to happen and, and how this thing's going to go and people's, like thousands of people's fates are in her hands, including her own. And it says in this moment that Esther chapter 5 verse 2 that when Xerxes saw Queen Esther standing in the inner court, so she comes and approaches. He holds out his scepter. Um, He welcomed her and held out his golden scepter to her, and so Esther approached. And I I realize this is just a couple sentences, but if you imagine or you picture this unfolding in your mind, uh, what's going on in this scene is that the way in which she's standing in the doorway, the way in which she's kind of postured herself, um, the way in which he invites her in, the way in which he holds out uh, the scepter, which is again a very cultural thing. Uh, it's an openness, right? Uh, a clo- a pulled in scepter, right, is much kind of like a crossed arm, like, I'm not interested, right? Uh, a held out scepter is like, hey, c- come on, right? Like, I'm-, I'm open to what's going on here. The way in which she approaches him, all of this is body language. That each person is using to communicate to the other, like, I'm open to you, right? I'm I'm open to this interaction. She's communicating, like, I want to talk to you, but I don't want to intrude, right? She's something, because there's no words exchanged in this moment. They're entirely reading each other's body language. And he's communicating with her, like, "I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you. Like, you come on in, say whatever you want. Be yourself, right? Because of the way he's posturing himself towards her. Uh, the, second, the second way we communicate uh, is through physical touch, physical touch. Um, the way people touch says a lot about how comfortable they are, how attached they are uh, to one another. Um, you know, a single touch can say a lot, right? As some of us, I mean, when we think about it, we, we think back to uh, when we first met the person that we're with, right? Our, our boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, partner. Hopefully you don't have all those at the same time right now. As uh, We're talking about the same person. <laughs> hopefully. Um, um, you know, that, that moment, right, when uh, that, that person, like, finally, like, stretched out an arm and just kind of barely touched your shoulder, and then got nervous and retracted it, like, that one gesture said so much, right? Uh, the, the moment, I still remember the first moment, my wife and I were taking a walk around our college campus, and um, I, I kind of, like, reached over and touched her hand, and she, like, like you know, interlocked her fingers with mine, and I thought I was going to die. Like, I was just the greatest thing ever. She said nothing, I said nothing, but my heart was going to explode. You know what I mean? It was just like, this is the greatest moment of my entire life, right? It was just that little, that little thing that, that communicated uh, so much in that moment. And you realize this maybe in your life, like a handshake, a a pat on the back, a high-five, a hug, um, holding hands, snuggling up to someone. All these things communicate something to someone else. And, you know, that message may actually change depending on, you know, the context or the culture or the relational equity um, and, honestly, past experiences, right? Sometimes we can not intend for a touch uh, to to be something uh, that is, like, hurtful or scary, but if somebody has a past of physical abuse, even just that little handheld moment feels different to them, right? Because it may communicate something that you're not intending to communicate, right? The environment says a lot, right? Um, and, like all of these things are saying something, and all these things are, are filtered. Uh, that we filter all these touches through, all the things in our experiences and context um, determine whether or not we feel like it's positive or negative, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it's a good or a bad thing. The right touch leads to like, more connectedness, and the wrong touch at the wrong moment leads to like, this, this disconnection. So can lack of touch. Right? Children who uh, have a childhood in which they're not hugged and, uh, and, and, and touched and spent time with and pulled close, these kids develop into adults who oftentimes don't know how to reciprocate as adults. Right? They, they're not sure how to have uh, healthy, touching, connected relationships with other adults, and yet we, we need to experience human touch in our lives. And and the touch that these two are using in this Esther story between Esther and Xerxes uh, is, is meaningful and communicates so much before any words are exchanged at all. Back, if we go back to verse 2 of the rest of verse 2 in this story, you know, it says that he, he welcomes her in, the king does, and he held, holds out his golden scepter to her, and so Esther approached, and she touched the end of the scepter, and this is kind of a way of saying, him saying like, hey, I'm open to you in this moment, and this is her way in her culture, in their environment, of touching the end of the scepter, of just saying like, hey... I want to have a connection with you, right? I didn't come in here to petition you. I didn't come in here to confront you. I didn't come in here to tell you why you're not doing things right, why you're not a good leader, why you've screwed up. I've come in here to connect. Like, I've come in here to, to feel like we're close. I've come in here because, like, there's, there's an attachment between the two of us that I want to grow and deepen over time. And it begins to set the stage. Just with body language and physical touch, it sets the stage for a conversation to get off on the right foot between the two of these people, right? It's this exchange that says, like, hey, it's safe for both of us to be ourselves in this moment. Um, we're open to one another. The, the third uh, way in which we communicate is through metaphor, right? Through metaphor. And... Um, you know, we don't often, you know, there are moments where we don't really know how to say what we want to say. Or we don't feel comfortable saying it or we don't really have time to go into it. And so what we do is we use a metaphor, right? We, uh, we, we, we use a shorthand, right? Some sh- like shared expression or example or experience that, get, that paints like a big picture with just a, a small handful of words, uh, and, I'll, and we do this all the time in our culture. In fact, uh, it's been metaphors for us have been reduced to just like uh, you know memes and gifs, right? I mean, it, you, you you're on a text chain and something goes on like the boss said this, and somebody just sends like a gif of somebody being like mm, like that, and you're like, yeah, I know what that metaphor means, right? I know what's going on here. I understand what you're trying to say without having to spell out all the ways in which you're thinking and feeling right now. And we do this in conversation, right, where someone will say things like. I just feel like our marriage is just like a train wreck right now, right? There's so much being communicated in that metaphor. There's so much being said below the surface with that one simple sentence. Suddenly, we, we get this picture in our minds of what that can mean. When somebody says something like, we are drowning in debt, and you get this picture of like what that means and what that implies. When somebody says something about somebody like, you know, she thinks she's she Beyonce, but she ain't, okay? She's not that good. All right, she's like trying to pretend that she is like, you know, that she's just strutting around, but we know what she's really like, and she, you know, you don't have the ability to do that, not around here, right? We, we understand what that means. We understand that there's a picture being painted of how someone's feeling about a particular situation, person, or interaction. Um, we, we understand that there's more to the story, unless we don't really understand the metaphor or the reference, Right? And we've had this happen, too, where somebody names a reference or a metaphor, and you're like, I'm going to pretend like I know what's going on, but I feel like I'm 10 years too old to know what you're talking about right now. I did not see that viral video, so I don't know what you're saying, right? So the question is, when somebody uses a metaphor to communicate something, what do they mean by that? Like, when, they, when they say that phrase, when they describe it in those terms, like, what are they trying to say? And there's a reason that we do this, a lot of which is because when we were infants, Right? We couldn't think in the abstract. Like our brains hadn't developed to that place yet. And so we could only think uh, of abstract concepts like security or hunger or connectivity or attachment um, through the physical objects that gave us those feelings. And so when you're a, a, an infant or a toddler, a blanket equals security. You ever try and take a blanket away from a kid who the blanket equals security for, right? They have no security. And so they panic, Right. Um, You know, nourishment equals uh, mom, right? Because that's how they're getting fed. And so mom is away and there's this panic that sets in of like, I'm not going to get like fed. I'm not going to get my basic needs met. And though we grow up and we mature and our reasoning shifts gears, we still tend to explain and uh, a diagram and understand the world in this way. And so what is the person who's sharing through a metaphor? What do they mean by that metaphor? And in Esther chapter five verse three, as we continue this story, we see this metaphoric exchange between these two people, in which this word picture communicates so much more. Where uh, King Xerxes says to her, "Like, what do you want, Queen Esther? Like, what's your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom." Right. That's a metaphor, right? And it's his way of saying, "Like, I love you. I care about you. You are my person. I will do anything." For you. Name it and it's yours, right? Um, Now, he doesn't literally mean that he would section off the kingdom and give it to her in that moment, like, because he's a practical man, right? In fact, he doesn't even say, like, I'll give you the whole kingdom. He was like, up to half. You know what I mean? I got (laughs) to be a little bit logical. Even in metaphoric land, I mean, I don't even mean that, but like, even in my exaggerated metaphor, I still got to be a little conservative. You know what I mean? Because that's the way in which he functions as a leader. But he's trying to communicate something to her. Through this word picture. Um, the fourth thing, uh, the way we communicate is through voice inflection, right? Voice inflection. Um, because it's not just you know, what you say, it's how you say it. And you already know this. Um, this is what makes text and email so confusing, right? Somebody sends you something, and their caps lock was accidentally on, they didn't even know it you like, I think grandma's mad. I don't even know. And she just doesn't even know how the phone works. That's what's happening right there, right? She's not even sure. She doesn't know that you're reading it like, I'll be at dinner, right? Because uh, she just meant like, I'll be at dinner. But she said it with all the caps lock, and you're confused, right? You don't have the ability to read the pitch and the inflection, right? When someone raises their tone of their voice, we get something different. When somebody lowers the tone, when they slow their pace, we get something different from that interaction with them. All these things are communicating something deeper than just the surface words that are being spoken. And, man, when we can't read really well the pitch and the tone of someone's voice, we misinterpret, right? We misinterpret what they're saying. And with so much communication happening electronically or digitally now, there's so much room for misinterpretation when we don't understand um, how this works. What I think makes this more complicated is, You know, we think we know how we sound to other people, but we really don't. You're so used to your voice and you're so attached to, like, the fact you know what you mean that you think in certain moments that you're projecting calm, but other people can hear the shakiness in your voice, right? And they understand that that inflection is communicating something different to them. You know, the, the speed in which you're talking really, really fast. My youngest son will do this real, like, tell me story really fast. So fast where it's like I can barely make out the words. And uh, he thinks that he's just trying to tell me an excited story. But I, I know that what he's saying as the youngest kid is like, don't interrupt me. Right? I want to get this whole thing out. I'm afraid if I slow down that nobody will hear the rest of this story. I'll be cut off. I'm the youngest one. I'm the smallest one. Like, I, I, sometimes I feel like i got to fight to be listened to and to be heard, right? Uh, sometimes the way we ask, like, any questions, we did it in such an aggressive manner that everybody knew we meant, like, you'd be a fool to ask a question right now, right? We're like, I asked them if they, if they had any questions, and it's like, you didn't do it like that. You said, any questions? And everyone was like, she means don't ask a question right now or you will die, right? <laughs> and sometimes we were misinterpreting how something is, is happening, and um. As we look at this Esther story, uh, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the way they're saying this, if there's not an understanding of the depth of pitch and tone and the way in which they're using voice inflection, you could misinterpret all these words because it's in how you read them, right? He says, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I'll give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. Now, the way you read that is everything, right? If she comes in the room and he's like, What do you want? Oh, Queen Esther, what's your request this time, right? That feels totally different, same words, right? There's a gentleness, there's a tenderness in the pitch and tone of this. And Esther replies, like, hey, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to this banquet that I've prepared for the king, right? She's choosing words specifically that are setting at ease. She's using a quiet, tone that's communicating humility, that's communicating a total lack of, uh, you know, the fact that she, like, I deserve this, or you ought to do what I think, or I'm entitled, right? And he's communicating this soft tone that's like, even though I'm the ruler of the biggest nation, um, the biggest empire on the planet right now, like, I'm soft and tender, I'm open to you. The way in which they're saying these things change the conversation, turn how this thing is happening. Uh, the fifth way we communicate is through facial expressions, right? Um, facial expressions. Uh, your face often tells people what you're thinking and feeling, even when you don't want it to, right? And some of you have been a victim of this, right? My, my dad uh, works with uh, daycare providers like all over the United States, and he'll go in and, and he'll, uh, he'll connect with people that are often checking people in, and uh, he'll, he has this phrase. I've seen him do it several times when I have went to visit him. And he'll talk to somebody who's running the, the check-in desk. And he'll be like, are you excited to be here today? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, do you like your job? Yeah. Do you care about the kids you're checking in? And he's like, they're like, yeah. And he's like, you should tell your face. You should let your face know. Because your face is sending a different message, right? And some of us were like, oh, I know the types of people they are talking about. Some of you are like, I think they're talking about me, right? Like, I have sometimes, I'm not always communicating what I intend to through my facial expressions. We all tend to express similar things in similar ways. But, you know, to really know what a person is thinking and feeling, you have to be familiar with their default settings. And how many of you know that different people have different default facial expressions, right? And if you don't know that person, sometimes you can misread what they're communicating. I don't know if you've ever walked away from an exchange before and you're like, she does not like me, right? And your friends were like, no, no, that's just her normal facial expression, right? Like, she just, she just looks mean, you know what I mean? But that I know her. She, she loved you. And you're like, I literally thought she was going to kill me. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen, right? You walk away from an exchange. You're like, man, he seemed real happy to see us. It's like, no, 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 he just had Botox, right? Like, that's not, that's not a real, you're getting a misread. He was angry. He was angry. He just, he can't not do this. He's frozen that way uh just like a botched I mean don't don't get Botox at a discount place it's just that you don't want to you don't want to deal you don't want to get it through a coupon service is what I'm trying to say nobody knows what he means anymore it's confusing right I think he's angry right now it's like no no no. that's his thinking problem solving face like he's just like how do I solve this situation like he's not angry at you he's thinking about how things are going and how things are happening. And so there's a chance that you may not be reading other people's, may not be reading yours correctly. And so it's really important for you to be aware of your face and your default facial expression, right? Because you may be communicating something to the people around you that you do not intend to communicate and and to know that. Uh, there have been times where I've had to tell my staff, like, hey, I, just new staff members, I'm like, hey, when I'm thinking, I get this scowl on my face. I'm not angry at you. It's my problem solving. It's my way of, like, shifting into my mind and trying to figure out how we're going to work this thing out. I don't want you to think it's about you or I'm frustrated with you. And just communicating what's actually happening or adjusting our facial expression to read the way we want it to changes everything. Some of us we don't pick up on the fact that somebody's face is communicating something different than their words because we're just not paying attention to them. Especially as much as we're looking at our phones now, there are times when we get a reply from someone and because it's what we want to hear, we're not paying attention to the way in which they're saying it, right? Their face is communicating like, I don't really want to do that, I'm uncomfortable. But because they're like, yeah, sure. you know, We're not picking up on the disconnection because we're not paying attention to the facial expression and the fact that there's a discrepancy that's going on here. And man, the first time you start leaning in and trying to analyze what someone's saying and how that matches their facial expressions or their body posture, it feels like a lot. It feels like you're juggling a million things at once, but it helps us to understand where someone's coming from. And this is, again, is what happens in the book of Esther. Uh, Chapter five, verse six, it says, you know, while they were drinking wine, I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of drinking in this story, uh, a, lot of, a lot of drinking that gets in the way. Uh, so they're at the banquet. It says, you know, while they're drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What's your, what's your request? If you read between the lines, what he's really saying is, what's your real request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. He's reiterating, like, I'm for you. I love you. I'm a safe person, right? Like, I am not out to get you. I know that there's fear related to my position, but like, here's the thing. You can be safe. You can be yourself, right? He's reminding her that it's okay for her to say whatever she needs to say. He's paying close enough attention to know that even when he asked the first time and says, what is it that you want? And she was like, I'd like to throw a party. And I want to invite these people. He's at the party and he's like, I'm watching your face and I'm watching your, your posture and I know enough to know There's more. There's more. sometimes we don't push in on something because we're fine with the surface thing because we're not reading all the communication modes that somebody's throwing at us. But he's intelligent enough emotionally to say, like, what's your real request? I just want to remind you. You can tell me anything. I'm safe, right? And, And because he's reading her face, he's reading what's really going on, and he's noticing that they don't match. There's more to the story. And the sixth thing or the last thing that we use to communicate is feeling words. Feeling words. We're not all good at putting our feelings into words, okay? For some of us, it comes naturally, right? We are really aware of what we're thinking and feeling moment to moment, and we have a great vocabulary, and we know how to just put it all into place, and it just, if someone's like, how are you feeling? It's like, we can just spew a poem on the spot, and the people are like, wow, I feel like I'm inside your soul looking around, right? And that's awesome. Others of us, we're like, I know I'm feeling something, I'm not sure what, I may be angry or could be gassed. I don't know what's happening inside of me. I don't know how to attach words to it. Like some of us, we mistake one feeling for another feeling, right? We're, we're lonely, but we misinterpret it as anger, right? We're sad, but we misinterpret it as like kind of this manic, you know, anxiety to like get something done. We're not really dialed into what's really going on and just push them down. Um, you know, maybe we just we don't, you know, we don't want to process our feelings, so we just push them down. We're like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to push it down and push it down and push it down. I'm just going to pack all this gunpowder inside really tight and just pray I'm never around a spark, right? That'll, that'll probably never be dangerous for everyone I know, right? And yet it never ends up working out well for us. You know, learning to put your feelings into words... Not only helps you get access to those things and process those things, but it helps the people around you know how to interpret all the other things that are going on um, inside of you. They want to get good at reading you, but unless you give them clues as to how you work and process, it's, it's tough for them. And it takes a lot of time and effort and energy to really get to know someone else's communication style in an intimate relationship. But that's how they know that we love them. Because we're willing to invest that time, effort, and energy to get a real read on them, to feel connected and attached to them. And I would just tell you, if this is a thing for you where you're like, man, I, have, I don't know what I'm feeling or how to put my feelings into work, an indicator that you are stuffing your feelings and you need to figure out how to verbalize or process through them is a couple signs. One is if you just stay busy all of the time so that you don't have to think about or talk about how you're feeling. Like, a lot of us do that, right? We overschedule ourselves We're just, like, try and do stuff all the time because if I slow down, I might think about how sad I am, right? Like, we just, we, that's an indication. You got some stuff you need to think about how to put into words and process and have conversations about. Or if we find ourselves just always angry. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's, it's there to indicate to us, like, you've got some unprocessed stuff below the surface. What actually may be going on is loneliness, what actually may be going on is, like, not necessarily anger, but a hurt feeling. What actually may be going on is that um, you need to eat. It's been a little bit, right? And you, are, you need to get a sandwich in you, okay, so that you can settle down, right? It, it's something that's telling us, like, there's something that we need to get in touch with inside of ourselves. And because of the, the openness that has been created through all these other communication styles, Esther feels comfortable to actually put her feelings into words. And her feelings in that moment are feelings that she feels, she feels scared. She's afraid, right? She's also angry. She's also nervous. She feels vulnerable. All things that we hate as humans to have to put out in front of somebody when we don't know what they're gonna do with those things. It says in Esther chapter five, verse seven, that she replies like, this is my request. And deepest wish. And this is what we're trying to get into with the people that we're building relationships with. We want to get to their real requests, to their deepest wishes. Sometimes we settle in our relationships for surfacey stuff, for surfacey exchanges. We're like, I checked the box. We had a conversation, right? How are you feeling? Fine. I'm good with that. Boom, we move on, right? And we don't really get to the real request, the deep wish, And yet she feels like she can say it. She begins to try and put these things into words. And, you know, she goes into it a little bit in uh, chapter 5, but she doesn't give him everything. You know, and this is the way that we kind of interact with people, right? You ever do this where you fish out a little bit of what's going on with you to see how they respond before you tell them everything? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just like... Let me see how you handle this. I was a little bit hurt the other day when this happened. And you just see how they respond to that because what you really want to tell them is that you don't want to be in this job anymore, right? And if you can't handle this, if you explode over stuff because it's not safe. And he proves that he's safe in this moment. You know, this, I think this really hails back to the Jesus phrase where, where he says, like, you know, uh, to those who can handle a little bit, they're going to be given more. And God doesn't just operate this way. We're made in his image, right? We operate the same way. If I can trust you with a little bit of my feelings, then maybe you can handle a little bit more. If I can trust you with a little bit of my, my wishes and desires, you can handle a little bit more and a little bit more. If you want to go deep with me, you got to prove that you're going to be locked in and attentive, that you're going to really be paying attention to what's going on with me, that you care, that you're not going to snap the moment you hear something you don't like, that you're going to ask why, that you're going to be present in the moment with me. And because he proves that he is this person for her, she goes on two chapters later. Sometimes it takes us two chapters to really say what we want to say. You know what I mean? Verse uh, chapter 7 verse 3, she says, "If I found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, whew, here goes. I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared." For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. And this is how he responds. Who would do such a thing? He demanded. So he's saying this angrily, right? Who would do such a thing? Who would be so presumptuous as to ever touch you? Now, we recognize this, right? He is empathizing with her, and he's getting Papa Bear, right? He's powering up. He's like, wait a minute. He's angry, but not, is it at her? No. His anger is like, I'm so glad you shared this with me. I am your partner. I'm your protector. Like, you tell me what's going on. I didn't know. I think a lot of times in relationships where we're not getting what we want and we're not getting what we need, a lot of times it's this situation, right, where with, between him and her, where the real problem here is that he didn't know. He didn't know how she really thought, how she really felt, what she really needed. He had no clue. And to her, it was obvious because it was going on inside of her, but she had to figure out how do we, where we can really get down to the deep stuff. And the hard thing about this is, in order to get to that place, you've gotta create space. You've gotta slow down and sit face-to-face with people and be with them in these moments. Create space for them to be Themselves and say what's really going on. And he begins to take steps to remedy the situation because as soon as he knows how she really feels and what she really needs and what's really going on with her, he springs to action. I would say the people that really love you in life do not want to withhold what you really need. They probably just don't get it. They're not getting it. I think that's really what love is. It's, it's trying again and again and again to help someone get it. It's trying again and again and again to like be there so that someone, so that you can get what it is they're trying to say, even when you're like, that metaphor is not helping me. I don't, I feel like I'm reading something different from your body language. I'm so sorry. I wish I knew. I wish I could intuitively read a little better. Teach me how you work, how you think. Because I really do care about you. I love you. You know, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the the, the New Testament, he couples onto this idea of communication by saying something that I think is really profound, especially if you begin to peel it apart. He says, uh, when he's talking to people about how to relate in relationships to one another, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And here's what I want you to understand like these words that he's using for everything you say or don't use this, he's, he's using words that, um, that mean like whatever you're communicating. And here's what we now know, right? You're communicating with so much more than just your words. What Paul is really saying is like, let everything that you communicate not be foul or abusive, including the things that you communicate with your facial expressions, and your body language, right, and and with your physical touches, right, with your feeling words, with all of these different ways in which we use to express ourselves. Let these things be things that are good, that are helpful, and that encourage the people around you to be open, honest, and real. And I wonder if that's our aim in life. Like, we, we can't do it in and of ourselves, We need the help of God to do this. But maybe if you're in a place today where you're like, man, this is a big deal to me. I'm not sure I know how to do it. I I, I want you not to leave with just inspiration today, but with just some practical how-to. And I want to just close by giving you these really quick pointers. How do you do this? Man, if you really want to amp your communication with the people you love, the first thing I would say is this. Focus on being interested, not interesting. Focus on being interested, not interesting. You know the people that we feel open and connected with the most? It's not the people that we think are the most awesome. It's the people that we're convinced think we're awesome. It's the people that are leaned in, that are making eye contact, that are connected with us, that are dialed in and interested in our lives. And I wonder what it would look like just to go into every conversation and be like, okay, the point of this is not to story top, not to be liked, not to be the first one to the joke, but to be leaned in and interested to the people in front of me. The second thing I would tell you is put your device away. And you gotta have time in your life where you are not focused on your phone, you're focused on the face of the person in front of you. There are times with this where we'll be talking, and like something happens, and I'm like, you ever try and get like a side little look at your text real quick because it's coming in and someone's trying to tell you a story and my daughter loves to tell four-hour stories uh, and so she gets going and I'm like, I'm, I know there's a lot of rabbit trails. I'm, I'm believing there's a point in here and she's going and she's really getting to the point where she wants to and I start getting distracted and she'll just like, if I hold up my phone, she'll just take my hand and just push the phone down so that I'm making eye contact with her. These moments are helpful where I'm just like, I'm sorry, babe, it is, this is about you, right? Putting your device away communicates there's nothing else. We have access to everything else that's going on in the world. It's literally saying everything else that's going on in the world is less important than you right now. What a powerful thing to communicate. The third thing I would suggest is make eye contact, be open and attentive, right? Um, Man, when you're looking at someone in the eye, and you have an open posture, and you're paying attention to what they're doing, not eyes darting around, not looking at the next person to talk to, not kind of looking down, not being distracted, but genuinely focused on them, communicates a world of something. Ask open-ended questions of others, right? This looks like uh, you know, when when you're talking to someone, and uh, they're like, yeah, and it was just a really rough day. That is a bid for an open-ended question to be asked, right? People are like, "Oh man, that's a bummer, right? What they're wanting to say is, why was it such a rough day? (sighs) I'm just having problems with other kids at school. Which kids at school? What happened? Right? Asking questions to say, take me deeper. Let me know a little bit more. I'm interested. I know that you're teasing the story you really want to tell. And I'm going to keep asking questions until you feel like you get to say what you want to say. And the the the, the last thing that I would suggest is don't ignore cues that the conversation is over, right? And sometimes we miss this as a parent, right? Where we cross over from like really trying to get to know our kids to interrogating them and they're trying to give us clues like dad this conversation is over, right? This is like we're we're done. Like I've told you everything there is to tell you like I don't know what else to say. Right. And um, we get caught up with someone and they're trying to like they're slowly trying to back away right they're they're crossing arms they're kind of looking at their watch and we're we're keeping them there in that moment as opposed to like honoring the cues we're getting back from them and creating space for them to to move on to what they need to do. I would just tell you, and when we begin to take these things seriously, our relationships grow and improve. In the life of Esther, it didn't just save her life, it it saved her kingdom. And this is what I would tell you. When you begin to focus on the way you and other people communicate and you improve that skill set it doesn't just improve your relationship with them. There's a ripple effect. And it may not just be that like, your kingdom gets better, right? But in a sense, that is what's happening. Your family feels more connected. Your church begins to feel more safe and inviting. People begin to feel like this is a place, a home, an environment, a a campus in which you can be yourself, in which people want you there, in which people are interested in your story, in which people care about what's going on in your life. When we begin to focus on our communication, we begin to give people a picture of what God is like. And that is who we're to be as Christ followers.